Hello and welcome to the Lazy Book Club podcast, the book club for those who don't want to read or leave the house. My name is Matt Gonzalez. Oh, it's David Cox. And I'm Josh Matheson. And this week we are looking at chapter five of the 39 Steps, which is the adventure of the spectacled Roadman. (laughs) Roadman. I'd be very intrigued to see what that term means in this time. Obviously, we've got a very different picture of what a roadman is nowadays. We do. We and, do. You uh, could not have said roadman in any posher way. I know, like, oh, I did I'm... it intentionally. <laughs> if, I, if I speak roadman. anything close to my slightly London accent, people are going to start spreading rumours about <laughs> my what I do outside of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, last week we had Richard Hannay giving political speeches. He yeah. crashed his car. He was run off the road by a liberal candidate who's trying to unseat a Tory in a Tory stronghold. Sure. He told him he was from the colonies and he went, oh great, my person who's meant to be giving a speech tonight is dropped out with influenza. Can you come and talk to everybody about the what was it, the economic significance of the colonies to Britain or something like that? Yeah. So he decided yeah, to talk for an hour. Yeah, so he decided to talk for an hour about Australia and basically just listed everything he knew about Australia. <laughs> Blagger. And then blagger. and then had the audacity to tell this candidate that his speech wasn't very good compared to <laughs> oh, you know what? <laughs> uh, this, this is what happens. You think I, I thought I thought of what it reminded me of. Anyone seen the Mr. Bean movie where yeah. they think he's like this famous doctor and then he's got to give the speech about um Whistler's mother and it's one of my yeah. favourites. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a picture of Whistler's mother. <laughs> And even though <laughs> Mr. Bean's voice is just iconic, isn't it? It's just absolutely yeah. iconic. It's such a good voice. <laughs> we all get it in the bank. Yeah, Maybe we definitely uh, remember these as yeah. they pop up. Brush up on my Mr. Touch. Bean. Mm. Yeah. Now, apparently, David, your auntie's been in touch about a disclaimer yeah, yeah, yeah. for last week. We need yeah. to actually oh, kind oh, of have a corrections apologies. corner. Yeah, hi, Auntie. Um, yeah, so we're just messaging, messaging in the week, and she reminded me that we were singing "The Tide Is High," and I said, "That's a Tommy Kitten," and these guys were like, "No, that's the that's the cover," and I was like, "Yeah, I, oh, yeah, sorry, yeah," and they said, "It's the Bangles. It's not actually the Bangles. It's Blondie." Mm. So but then we worked out just before we started recording why we thought it was the Bangles. Legitimate reason, everyone. It was one of Atomic Kitten's other famous covers, "Eternal Flame." Yeah. So, you know, there was there was me- there was logic to our error. Definitely. And we thank oh, yeah. our listeners for the eternal flame of their loyalty. <laughs> uh, oh, that's uh, a yes, very no, cheesy no, no, segue, everybody. <laughs> but the tide is high apparently made famous by Blondie. Who knew? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm, I've got to admit, the only one of Blondie's I really know is Heart of Glass. That's the only one I kind of know, just, you know, where she just tried to dip her toes into a bit of disco just because it was making money and she <laughs> sold out and just kind of tried to get, although it is a banger, it's such a good song. Anyway, we digress. We should really probably get on with reading the book, shouldn't we? Sure. Nothing more to say. Yeah, I think so. Chapter five, The Adventure of the Spectacled Roadman. I sat down on the very crest of the pass and took stock of my position. Behind me was the road climbing through a long cleft in the hills, which was the upper glen of some notable river, 
In front was a flat space of maybe a mile, all pitted with bog holes and rough with tussocks, and then beyond it the road fell steeply down another glen to a plain whose blue dimness melted into the distance. To left and right were round-shouldered green hills as smooth as pancakes, but to the south, that is the left hand, there was a glimpse of high heathery mountains, which I remembered from the map as the big knot of hill which I had chosen for my sanctuary. I was on the central boss of a huge upland country, and could see everything moving for miles. In the meadows below the road half a mile back a cottage smoked, but it was the only sign of human life— Otherwise, there was only the calling of plovers and the tinkling of little streams. It was now about seven o'clock, and as I waited, I heard once again that ominous beat in the air. Then I realised that my vantage ground might be in reality a trap. There was no cover for a tomtit. Oh, I don't know what a tomtit is. <laughs> but I want to know. Is, like a, is he just sort of like calling himself a bit of a... Muppet, uh, like an amateur, a little bit of like if someone is a bit of. Uh, I'm trying to think of the word that we'd use now, like a a twit, a twit. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, a popular name for any number of active songbirds. Oh, so it's not. He's not comparing himself to one. He's like literally even a bird couldn't hide. That's what he's saying. Yeah. In Urban Dictionary, it's listed as something else, but I'm pretty sure Urban Dictionary is <laughs> probably more Didn't modern. The time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a Cockney rhyming slang, apparently. For? Well, let's just say um, I need to go for a massive tom tit. Oh, oh okay. No, I... <laughs> <laughs> there was no cover for a tom tit in those bald green places. I sat quite still and hopeless while the beat grew louder. Then I saw an aeroplane coming up from the east. It was flying high, but as I looked it dropped several hundred feet and began to circle round the knot of hill in narrowing circles, just as a hawk wheels before it pounces. Now it was flying very low, and now the observer on board caught sight of me. I could see one of the two occupants examining me through glasses, Suddenly it began to rise in swift whirls, and the next I knew it was speeding eastward again till it became a speck in the blue morning. That made me do some savage thinking. My enemies had located me, and the next thing would be a cordon round me. I didn't know what force they could command, but I was certain it would be sufficient. The aeroplane had seen my bicycle and would conclude that I would try to escape by the road. In that case, there might be a chance on the moors to the left or the right. I wheeled the machine a hundred yards from the highway and plunged it into a moss hole, where it sank among pondweed and water buttercups. Then I climbed to a knoll which gave me a view of the two valleys. Nothing was stirring on the long white ribbon that threaded them. I have said that there was not cover in the whole place to hide a rat. As the day advanced, it was flooded with soft, fresh light till it had the fragrant sunniness of the South African veld. At other times, I would have liked the place, but now it seemed to suffocate me. The free moorlands were prison walls, and the keen hill air was the breath of a dungeon. 
I tossed a coin. Heads right, tails left, and it fell heads, so I turned to the north. In a little I came to the brow of a ridge, which was the containing wall of the pass. I saw the high road for maybe ten miles, and far down it something that was moving, and that I took to be a motor car. Beyond the ridge I looked on a rolling green moor, which fell away into wooded glens. Now my life on the Veld has given me the eyes of a kite, and I can see things for which most men need a telescope. Away down the slope, a couple of miles away, several men were advancing, like a row of beaters at a shoot. I dropped out of sight behind the skyline. That way was shut to me, and I must try the bigger hills to the south beyond the highway. The car, I had noticed, was getting nearer, but it was still a long way off, with some very steep gradients before it. I ran hard, crouching low except in the hollows, and as I ran I kept scanning the brow of the hill before me. Was it imagination, or did I see figures? One, two, perhaps more, moving in the glen beyond the stream? If you are hemmed in on all sides, in a patch of land, there is only one chance of escape. You must stay in the patch, and let your enemies search it and not find you. That was good sense, but how on earth was I to escape notice of that tablecloth of a place? I would have buried myself to the neck in mud, or lain below water, or climbed the tallest tree. But there was not a stick of wood. The bog-holes were little puddles. The stream was a slender trickle. There was nothing but short heather, and bare hill bent, and the white highway. Then— in a tiny bite of road, beside a heap of stones, I found a roadman. He had just arrived, and was wearily flinging down his hammer. He looked at me with a fishy eye, and yawned. <laughs> and then the man with the fishy eye speaks. Yeah, what does I mean, the fishy eye mean? Is that like bulging eyes? Or just like suspicious? It's always these kind of adjectives that then lead to some ridiculous choice from the two of you. <laughs> well, I think we said last week about Roadman having a rude boy. Yeah. I, I, I think that's compulsory. Yeah, I think, I think so. Sometimes there's no leeway from us and it's like, well, you know. We've, we've... Great. The only thing there is I can see looking slightly ahead that it is again, once again written with something of a dialect in mind. So I'll just take a little bit of creative license with it. It's going to end up sounding like uh, when they do Shakespeare and try and shoehorn it into like a, you into know, some, an, an urban, urban setting. setting. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. it works when some of like the most beautiful speeches just sound a bit rubbish. When you've chucked yeah. them in the middle of Power Hamlets, yeah. Yeah. I'll try and keep to the language as written, but then change the accent, because then we're, at least we're being honourable to the text. Con food the day I ever left the herd in, he said, as if to the world at large. There I was, my ain maester. Now I'm a slave to the government, tethered to the roadside, with serene in a back like a suckle. What's a suckle? I haven't. I don't know. Is a suckle like a sickle, <laughs> or, or is that different? <laughs> I, I'm going to say that suckle and sickle, while similar, are not the same word. He took up the hammer, struck a stone, dropped the implement with an oath, and put both hands to his ears. Mercy on me, Mahid's bursting! He cried. <laughs> this is a weird. This is a well weird world to live in, isn't it? This is you know Scots dialect meets uh, 
Roadman. Uh, Keep going. Roadman accent. He was a wild figure, about my own size, but much bent, with a week's beard on his chin and a pair of big horn spectacles. I canna day it, he cried again. <laughs> the surveyors mourn, just report me, I'm for my bed. I asked him what was the trouble, though indeed he was clear enough. The trouble is that I'm no sober. <laughs> Drunkenness seems to be a theme in this book. Every single man he's come across seems to be hammered. It's not much constantly. Last nicked my doctor Merrin was wadi and they danced till four in the byre. Me and some Iver chill sat down to the drinking and here I am, pity that I ever look it on the wine when it was red. I agreed with him about bed. It's easy speaking, he moaned. But I got a postcard yesterday saying that the new road surveyor will be around the day. He'll come and he'll no find me or else he'll find me full. And either way, I'm a done man. I'll way back to my bed and say I'm no wheel, but I do that will no help me, for they ken my kind and no wheelness. Then I had an inspiration. Does the new surveyor know you? I asked. Know him. He's just been a week at the job. He rins about it in a wee motor core and wad spear the inside oot at a whelk. <laughs> When it sounded I, like slightly I, Jamaican, didn't it? Just there, yeah. A it's white beer, <laughs> almost going like patois, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So basically, so, he's saying the road survey is going to come along to look at the road. He's meant to be working on it, and he's like, he's going to find that it's not done, and he's going to find that I'm hammered, and I'm going to get fired. Yeah. So I'm guessing this is the car that he's seen coming as well. Um, you know, you were saying he sees this car winding up the road and he thought it was his pursuers, but it's not. It's actually this, probably this surveyor coming to look at the work. Man. Mm. Where's your house? I asked and was directed by a wavering finger to the cottage by the stream. Well, back to your bed, I said, and sleep in peace. I'll take on your job for a bit and see the surveyor. He stared at me blankly. Then as the notion dawned on his fuddled brain, his face broke into the vacant, drunkard smile. You're the Billy, he cried. It'll be easy enough managed. I've finished that being a stains, so you need a chap on the mare this forenoon. Just take the barry and wheel a nuke metal for yon quarry doon the road and make a nair bing the morn. My name's Alexander Trommel. And I've been seven year at the trade and 20 afore that heard in the lave and water. My friends came yecky and wild specky for I wear glasses being wake in the sick. Just you speak the surveyor fair and came sir and he'll be fell pleased. I'll be back all midday. I borrowed his spectacles and filthy old hat stripped off coat, waistcoat and collar, and gave him them to carry home, borrowed to the foul stump of a clay pipe as an extra property. He indicated my simple tasks, and without more ado set off at an amble bedwards. Bed may have been his chief object, but I think there was also something left in the foot of a bottle. I prayed that he might be safe under cover before my friends arrived on the scene. Then I set to work to dress for the part, 
I opened the collar of my shirt. It was a vulgar blue and white check, such as ploughmen wear, and revealed a neck as brown as any tinker's. I rolled up my sleeves, and there was a forearm which might have been a blacksmith's, sunburnt and rough with old scars. I got my boots and trouser legs all white from the dust of the road, and hitched up my trousers, tying them with string below the knee. Then I set to work on my face. With a handful of dust, I made a watermark around my neck, the place where Mr. Turnbill's Sunday ablutions might be expected to stop. I rubbed a good deal of dirt also into the sunburn of my cheeks. A roadman's eyes would no doubt be a little inflamed, so I contrived to get some dust in both of mine, and by dint of vigorous rubbing produced a bleary effect. The sandwiches Sir Harry had given me had gone off with my coat, but the roadman's lunch, tied up in a red handkerchief, was at my disposal. I ate with great relish several of the thick slabs of scone and cheese, and drank a little of the cold tea. In the handkerchief was a local paper tied with string and addressed to Mr. Turnbull, obviously meant to solace his midday leisure. I did up the bundle again and put the paper conspicuously beside it. My boots did not satisfy me, but by dint of kicking among the stones, I reduced them to the granite-like surface which marks a roadman's footgear. Then I bit and scraped my fingernails till the edges were all cracked and uneven. The men I was matched against would miss no detail. I broke one of the bootlaces and retied it in a clumsy knot, and loosed the other so that my thick grey socks bulged over the uppers. Still no sign of anything on the road. The motor I had observed half an hour ago must have gone home. My toilet complete, I took up the barrow <laughs> and... <laughs> We've had that before, haven't we? That, that I know, it's up. just not a term that I can it's get with, because it's meant to be like my, you know, my dressing up complete. Getting ready time, yeah. My toilet complete, I took up the barrow and began my journeys to and from the quarry a hundred yards off. I remember an old scout in Rhodesia, who had done many queer things in his day, once telling me that the secret of playing a part was to think yourself into it. You could never keep it up, he said, unless you could manage to convince yourself that you were it. So I shut off all other thoughts and switched them on to the road mending. I thought of the little white cottage as my home. I recalled the years I had spent herding on Lathen Water. I made my mind dwell lovingly on sleep in a box bed and a bottle of cheap whisky. Still nothing appeared on that long white road. Now and then a sheep wandered off the heather to stare at me. A heron flopped down to a pool in the stream and started to fish, taking no more notice of me than if I'd been a milestone. On I went, trundling my loads of stone, with the heavy step of the professional. Soon I grew warm, and the dust on my face changed into solid and abiding grit. I was already counting the hours till evening should put a limit to Mr. Turnbull's monotonous toil. Suddenly a crisp voice spoke from the road, and looking up I saw a little Ford two-seater, and a round-faced young man in a bowler hat. And then Mr. Bowler Hat speaks. Ooh. 
a little Ford two-seater and a bowler oh, hat. Well, he seems that to be quite you? a character. Can you just make him like a little Mr. Fancy Pants? So maybe like a little a little bit of camp and a little bit kind of... Well, he's driving around in a little two-seater, like in this time, like driving around in a little sports car with a sure. bowler hat. Yeah, to make him like just a bit fabulous. Oh, and from where? Scottish fabulous. Scottish fabulous. If you put the odd... Ooh. Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <Ooh. laughs> he's a surveyor. So imagine he's like surveying he's everybody at the end. It's like, ooh, look at that. He's a <laughs> surveyor from Stranraer. I feel like this is one where I'm going to have to get my hands involved. Oh, he's going to be twiddling again. I love it. Yeah, sometimes you just need to. Okay, right. Are you Alexander Turnbull? Mm? He asked. (laughs) I am the new county road surveyor. You live at Black Hope Foot and have charge of the section by Laidlaw Byers to the regs. Good. A fair bit of road, Turnbull, and not badly engineered. A little soft about a mile off and the edges want cleaning. (laughs) See you look after that. Good morning. You'll know me the next time you see me. (laughs) That sounded really suggestive in that voice. A little soft a mile off and the edges want cleaning. (laughs) It's great though because that's quite a mundane thing he's just done. I know. He's so boring. <laughs> Keeping it entertaining for himself. You gotta really love doing this stuff, surely. Like yeah. to find this kind of line of work engaging, like just <laughs> looking at tarmac. Like you gotta really love health and safety codes and stuff like that. Road surveyor. What a boring job. Mm. Sorry, anyone out there who's a road surveyor, I'm sure you yeah. want that. Maybe a bendy road would be more fun, I don't know. Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> Or the ramp of a multi-story car park that spirals up. Yeah, oh, those are the best. Yeah. You just keep going uh, there forever. I sometimes think, maybe this today. is where I live now. And you just keep on going, keep on going. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not at the top. It's never ending. <laughs> winding road. <clears throat> <laughs> I don't think that's what the Beatles had in mind. Uh, <laughs> if the, the music video was just going up and 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 up up was good enough for the dreaded surveyor. I went on with my work, and as the morning grew towards noon, I was cheered by a little traffic. The baker's van breasted the hill and sold me a bag of ginger biscuits, which I stowed in my trouser pockets against emergencies. Then a herd passed with sheep and disturbed me somewhat by asking loudly, Oh, this is, I guess, like a shepherd who's got a little cameo. What does they sound like? Uh, I can make a Mr. Burns. <laughs> Why? It was so off the top of your head. Well, that's sometimes the way I work. That's sometimes the way you work. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm guessing you've probably only got a couple of lines, anyways. Literally, like five words. Yeah. Well, this is where I feel like you can have a bit more fun. It's we've made mistakes before, including this book where we've gone. Let's go for something ridiculous, and you realise it's like the whole chapter. They've got a monologue. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he's got much. Canny. Canny with fun. Is yeah, yeah. Great to be. 
canny with fun. What had become of Specky? <laughs> that's literally all he's got. That's it. That's all yeah. he's got. Couldn't even get into my groove with that. Do do Hane trying to be Scottish? Okay, great. Yeah, because he's now replying, pretending to be the roadman. Yeah. <clears throat> In bed with a colic, I replied, and the herd passed on. Just about midday, a big car stole down the road, glided past, and drew up a hundred yards beyond. Its three occupants descended as if to stretch their legs and sauntered towards me. Two of the men I had seen before from the window of the Galloway Inn, one lean, sharp and dark, the other comfortable and smiling. The third had the look of a countryman, a vet perhaps, or a small farmer. He was dressed in ill-cut knickerbockers, and the eye in his head was as bright and wary as a hen's. And then it's that last fella that seems to speak. The eye in his head. The eye in his head. I'm just imagining he's like the Cyclops. Yeah. Just the one eye. Yes. Yeah. What does he sound like? So these guys are like baddies, aren't they? We assume they've got a bit of a mafia vibe. Yeah. Oh, well, we could do him like that because we're making mafia. We make him Russian the, mafia. Just because well, we always the, go for that. Yeah. We always, yeah. Well, the thing, the thing is, we've got. Two two chaps who very much seem out of place here, but then this third one who speaks first is supposed to look more like he lives nearby. So I don't. Oh, know. oh well, maybe maybe if he's meant to be the local, we'll keep the Russian mafia for the other two if they talk. Okay. Yeah, if they talk. And this third guy, uh, what is he? Is he a vet? Well, he said he looks like a vet or a small farmer. Well, can you make him the bumbly farmer guy from Hot Fuzz? Oh yeah, <laughs> I was going to say if he's a vet, we can make him Rolf Harris, but. Um... <laughs> Let's not go there, shall we? <laughs> Morning. <laughs> That's a fine, easy job of yours. That's a fine, easy job of yours. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Matt. <laughs> okay, with the audio description. From yes, Matthew I had Bidell. to do it. I was doing the yeah. translation for you. Yeah. Do it in British Sign Language as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had not looked up on their approach, and now... When accosted, I slowly and painfully straightened my back, after the manner of roadmen, spat vigorously after the manner of the low Scot, and regarded them steadily before replying. I confronted three pairs of eyes that missed nothing. There's war jobs and there's better, I said, sententiously. I'd rather hear yours setting a D on your hinderlands on the cushions. It's you and your muckle cores that wreck my roads. If we had our rights, you should be made a man what you break. The bright-eyed man was looking at the newspaper lying beside Turnbull's bundle. I think you get your paper in good time, he said. I see you get your papers in good time. <laughs> <laughs> I glanced at it casually. Aye, and good time. Seeing that that paper came out Saturday, it's just six days late. He picked it up, glanced at the superscription, and laid it down again. One of the others had been looking at my boots, and a word in German called the speaker's attention to them. You've a fine taste in boots, he said. You've a fine taste in boots. These were never made by a country shoemaker. These were never made by a country shoemaker. They were not. I said readily. They are made in London. I got them um, from a gentleman that was here last year for the shooting. 
What's his name now? And I scratched a forgetful head. Again, the sleek one spoke in German. Let's get on, he said. This fellow's all right. Let us get on, he said. This fellow's all right. They asked one last question. You see anyone pass early this morning? He might be on a bicycle or he might be on foot. Did you see anyone pass early this morning? He might be on a bicycle or he might be on foot. I very nearly fell into the trap and told the story of a bicyclist hurrying past in the grey dawn, but I had the sense to see my danger. I pretended to consider very deeply. Uh, I watched that very early, I said. You see, my doctor who I smeared it last night, and we keep it up late. I opened the house door about seven, and there was nobody on the road then. Since I came up here, there has been just a baker and a ritual hard besides you gentlemen. One of them gave me a cigar, which I smelt gingerly and stuck in Turnbull's bundle. They got into their car and were out of sight in three minutes. My heart leapt with an enormous relief but I went on wheeling my stones. It was as well, for ten minutes later the car returned, one of the occupants waving a hand to me. Those gentlemen left nothing to chance. I finished Turnbull's bread and cheese, and pretty soon I had finished the stones. The next step was what puzzled me. I could not keep up this road-making business for long. A merciful providence had kept Mr. Turnbull indoors, but if he appeared on the scene there would be trouble. I had a notion that the cordon was still tight round the glen, and that if I walked in any direction I should meet with questioners. But get out I must. No man's nerve could stand more than a day of being spied on. I stayed at my post till five o'clock. By that time I had resolved to go down to Turnbull's cottage at nightfall and take my chance of getting over the hills in the darkness. But suddenly a new car came up the road and slowed down a yard or two from me. A fresh wind had risen, and the occupant wanted to light a cigarette. It was a touring car, with the tonneau full of an assortment of baggage. One man sat in it, and by an amazing chance I knew him. His name was Marmaduke Jopley. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, firstly, the chances of running into someone you know when you're in the middle of the Scottish wilderness, but the fact that person's called Marmaduke. Marmaduke. Really? I mean... Are you kidding? (laughs) We enjoyed it, so he's, you know... What an absolute joke. I mean, I'd I'd rather more Marmaduke Jopleys in the world than John Smith's. I mean, it's... Yeah, no, that's true. It's true. It's a bit more interesting. Yeah. His name was Marmaduke Jopley, and he was an offence to creation. <laughs> oh, my Good God. Sentence. That is a great <laughs> sentence. I'm going to say that to somebody next time I don't <laughs> like them. Like, you know, you, you are an offence to creation. <laughs> <laughs> what does God. that even mean? Like an abomination? Like, what, guess, what is yeah. that? You shouldn't, exi- you shouldn't exist. Maybe he might put it into words, what he means by that. He was a sort of blood stockbroker who did his business by toadying eldest sons and rich young peers and foolish old ladies. Marmy was a familiar figure, I understood, at balls and polo weeks and country houses. He was an adroit scandal-monger, and would crawl a mile on his belly to anything that had a title or a million. <laughs> I had a business introduction to his firm when I came to London, 
and he was good enough to ask me to dinner at his club. There he showed off at a great rate, and pattered about his duchesses till the snobbery of the creature turned me sick. I asked a man afterwards why nobody kicked him, and was told that Englishmen reverenced the weaker sex. <laughs> so basically they're saying he's a woman. Yeah. I, I, he's so bad. He's, he's so only... bad. He's so horrible that like he's not even he's not a real man is basically what he's trying to say. The there. casual misogyny that's just you know present in that sentence mm, as well. Yeah. Like... So what does this guy do? Does he like try and like swindle rich people? Is that what he does? He sounds a like blood Paris Hilton. Stockbroker. I when he was a blood stockbroker, I thought he was someone that was one of those like people that does give blood and they have they go around on the mopeds and they deliver the blood to the hospitals <laughs> really quickly. <laughs> Some kind of black market organ dealer or something is what you're kind of thinking. But mm. I mean, this was before transplants or anything used to happen. So I don't think anyone... No, I feel like he's just stuff. a man about town who turns up and tries to swindle people out of there. Yeah. I think it's just probably the shamelessness in which he approaches people with wealth and titles. I think it's just mm. literally the case that everyone knows exactly what he's up to and he has no shame to even try and hide it. What he's reasonable. literally like, yeah, that's a great line as well. He would crawl a mile on his belly to anything that had a title or a million. Like That's such yeah. a great line. I love that. Anyhow, there he was now, natally dressed in a fine new car, obviously on his way to visit some of his smart friends. A sudden daftness took me, and in a second, I had jumped into the tonneau and had him by the shoulder. Hello, Jopley, I sang out. Well met, my lad. He got a horrid fright. His chin dropped as he stared at me. And then he responds. Saying, can, he make, can we make him talk like a dog? Like a dog? Because Marmaduke. Um, oh, I see. Because Marmaduke. Let's say, because he's like constantly hungry for like wealth and stuff, mm. can we just like add a little bit of a pant to his like... He's a pant boy. <laughs> yeah. So just make it like... Oh, oh yeah, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get okay, it. Okay, so he's, oh, the, oh, yeah, he's the human yeah. equivalent of a dog. Yes. I'm just going to watch the Marmaduke trailer to see if I can hear him speak. It's a voice in their head and he's got like a southern drill. My name's Marmaduke, by the way. I mean, I suppose if you can give him like a a high-end southern okay. drill, like, you know, like a prospector kind of like, you know, oil magnate kind of vibe. Like the one in The Simpsons, the one that's really rich, that's always firing his guns up in the air, but he's yes. really wealthy. <laughs> or like Dom Dimmodome from... My fairly odd parents, or whatever it is. Who the devil are you? <sighs> Gasp. <laughs> My name's Hannay, I said, from Rhodesia, you remember? Good God, the murderer. <sighs> he choked. Just so. And there'll be a second murder, my dear, if you don't do as <gasps> I tell you. Give me that coat of yours and that cap, too. He did as he was bid, for he was blind with terror. Over my dirty trousers and vulgar shirt, I put on his smart driving coat, which buttoned high at the top, and thereby hid the deficiencies of my collar. I stuck the cap on my head and added his gloves to my get-up. The dusty roadman in a minute was transformed into one of the neatest motorists in Scotland. On Mr Jopley's head, I clapped Turnbull's unspeakable hat and told him to keep it there. Then, with some difficulty, I turned the car. My plan was to go back the road he had come, for the watchers, having seen it before, would probably let it pass unremarked, and Marmy's figure was in no way like mine. Now, my child, I said, 
Sit quite still and be a good boy. I mean you no harm. I'm only borrowing your car for an hour or two. But if you play me any tricks, and above all, if you open your mouth, as sure as there's a god above me, I'll wring your neck. Save? I enjoyed that evening's ride. We ran eight miles down the valley, through a village or two, and I could not help noticing several strange-looking folk lounging by the roadside. These were the watchers, who would have had as much to say to me if I had come in other garb or company. As it was, they looked incuriously on. One touched his cap in salute, and I responded graciously. As the dark fell, I turned up a side glen which, as I remember from the map, led into an unfrequented corner of the hills. Soon the villages were left behind, then the farms, and then even the wayside cottage. Presently we came to a lonely moor, where the night was blackening the sunset gleam in the bog pools. Here we stopped, and I obligingly reversed the car, and restored to Mr. Jopley his belongings. A thousand thanks, I said. There's more use in you than I thought. Now be off and find the police. As I sat on the hillside, watching the tail-light dwindle, I reflected on the various kinds of crime I had now sampled. Contrary to general belief, I was not a murderer. But I had become an unholy liar, a shameless impostor, and a highwayman with a marked taste for expensive motor cars. <laughs> End of chapter. So this is a book about a man that drives around Scotland swapping clothes with people. Yeah, apparently, yeah. The more he spends time in Scotland, the more I realise why this has been made into a farcical, ridiculous play. Because it is. What's that TV show? Mr. Ben. Mr. Ben. I love Mr. Ben. Yeah, he's that was enjoying dressing up as different people and pretending to be them. And that's literally all he's done so far. And not leaving like the county that he's in. In the last or oh, the two chats before he intimated, right, I've got to start thinking about how I'm going to get back. And always just he's he's losing a lot of time, I think. Mm. Like just he's naffed around for two days. The thing is, he's like, got his head switched on, clearly. Like the amount of effort yeah. to make himself look like a roadman and do all the, the, the little details. And then he does make some decisions where I'm like, You've literally just told this man exactly who you are, borrowed the car and then abandoned the car again and then told him to go to the police. So, like, surely that's going to do the opposite. I don't understand the method in yeah, that. Yeah, they're going to catch yeah, up this with guy is, quickly. This guy is a sleazy guy. He'll probably get, like, uh, taken in by the, the, the baddies and that he'll get ruffled up and he'll tell him exactly what happened, probably. Mm. You've literally escaped a cordon that they just found you from just from an airplane. I just say, if you've got a witness who's literally said, yeah, he jumped out of my car on that bit of road, they're yeah. going to know exactly where to set the next cordon up. It's weird. The only thing he's actually done to actually stop this bigger conspiracy is get his politician friend to write to his uncle or whatever it was in the foreign office. Mm. But unless he can get out of Scotland to get all the way back down to London where the foreign office is, he's not going to be much help. No. So I'm hoping that, like, you know, the next couple of chapters, he actually starts making his way back down south again and doesn't just say, keep, yeah. like, driving around Scotland, having a lovely little Highland adventure up there at the moment and it, doesn't it, seem it, to be doing anything else. Yeah. I mean, he's good at the incognito, but, yeah, he's not really progressing the the plot much, is he? No. But then I, I can see now why uh, Buchan kind of is 
constantly keeping these people hot on his tail because that's the only thing right now creating intrigue and suspense in the book because the overarching thing of the actual character isn't really going anywhere it's just the pursuit that's actually kind of adding any sense of drama to this piece so far yeah a cat and mouse if you will yeah and without that it would just be just some random guy lonely walking along through hills going how do i get back to london that would basically be it yeah it would basically be harry potter and the deathly hallows part one where they're just camping around the country (laughs) yeah that's not but with no magic or what boring book yeah (laughs) it was so dry you're gonna do our jingle yeah no i will hopefully you haven't peeked ahead because it's now time to play guess what the next chapter's called i went first last time david cox question does it start the adventures again Okay, okay. It does start with the adventure. Okay. okay. It seems to be a theme. It's a theme. Oh, cause just because it would be really funny if it's true. The adventures of the very busty woman. And then <laughs> everyone, everyone he meets, he swaps clothes with. So, uh, yeah. You know what's really funny? I was literally, I was going to say the adventures of like the milkmaid or like something <laughs> like that. Like I was literally, or like the barmaid or something. Yeah. Yeah. So we've both kind of gone down. The thing, so I'll, oh, I'm going to have to change it to something else now. Some late. Um, the Adventures of Farmer Jones. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, in the sense that we've got another, what seems like a whimsical character with a with a, with a a bit of a descriptor. Is this um, someone with a peg that, leg or something and a parrot? That's really as close as we get. But I mean, no no points awarded, even if we were awarding okay. points. But chapter, chapter six is entitled The Adventure of the Bald Archaeologist. <laughs> Why didn't uh, I guess that? Why didn't This you? seems to be the theme. It's literally like a descriptor and a profession. That's literally yeah. what every single one so far has been. I love it. Literary yeah. innkeeper. Spectacled, spectacled romance. Roadman. Bald archaeologist. If you'd have said the adventure of the archaeologist in, in the good old rules of Lazy Book Club, Josh would have given us about 0.7 points. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The, the I was just trying to think of a random profession because they do seem to be slightly random ones as well. Without cheating, I'm going to look up some, you know, zany professions from that time, like the yes. the hodge carrier or oh, like the, the alchemist the... or yeah, oh, oh, uh, yeah, 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 and the the, the the philanthropist or the the anthropologist or some kind of ra- or the botanist. I'm sure there's probably one of those. Oh somewhere. yeah, I hope there's a botanist. Yeah, I had to kind of just chuck any of those kinds of things in. And I've noticed that everyone seems to be a man because, as you said, he needs to be able to convincingly change characters with them. So <laughs> yeah. I have a feeling that it's pretty much going to be men all the way as well. Much We're kind of man. learning the rules. Hopefully by the last chapter we'll be able to actually <laughs> get it right. Well, hopefully he's go. not just trying to disguise himself by the end. Hopefully he's trying to foil some plot and he's not still oh, I know. <laughs> messing around in Dumfries. Oh, oh, you know the Chapter Greek president. Chapter 42, he's oh, still oh. in the middle of a field. Yeah, yeah you, 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 your, your mission failed. Like You might as well go home. His um, name was actually just to be like at the place the assassination took place just so he could watch it. He had no intention of stopping it. <laughs> <laughs> the last one's going to be the adventure I of the lazy there. policeman or something like that. And it's just him standing there watching it happen. <laughs> the adventure of the innocent bystander. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh dear. I really hope something happens with this storyline. I'm just kind of like, I'm enjoying the cat and mouse. I'm enjoying the ridiculous farcical nature of the character swapping. But I do want there to be some kind of 
you know, moving forward with making this plot stop. Because otherwise, all it could have been was just someone got murdered in my apartment and I had to go on the run. Mm. Like the whole Carolides thing and all that lot didn't wasn't necessary. Otherwise, the whole stopping World War One wasn't necessary if it was just like, oh, I've been pinned. A murder's been pinned on me and I didn't do it. Well, if you've got any thoughts or opinions on this chapter, you can message us on thelazybookclub at gmail.com. Or if you've got any professions that you would like Hannah to swap roles with in the next few chapters that we might want to know about, tell us on Twitter. And you can do so at LazyBookClubPod. And if there was a chapter about you, the adventure of, what would it be called? Tell us on Instagram at LazyBookClubPod. <laughs> It'd be the adventures <laughs> of the sofa surfer or something like that. <laughs> The Adventures of the Unemployed Bum. <laughs> yeah, that would be it. That would be it. <laughs> We're also on Patreon, uh, patreon.com forward slash lazy book club pod for a small fee of $3 a month. You get an extra episode every month and you also get to watch the videos from the episodes. Otherwise, we will see you next week for chapter six The Adventures yeah. of the Bald Archaeologist. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye. Goodbye.